0: You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 168, Sarah Geringer and Transforming Your Thought Life. Well, hold on, my friends. Welcome to another episode of Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. We like to explore what it is like. And it's an interesting time. I find increasingly the times are uh, interesting for hearing what God is doing, which is fantastic. So I would love to uh, just introduce you to our guest today. Um, we definitely had some interesting conversation. I love hearing about her story. Uh, before I do, I want to encourage you, if uh, if you like this show, there's a couple things uh, that would really help us out, help us to kind of spread the word about the show that you could do, and we would really appreciate it, and they won't really cost you that much. So the first one is, if you really like the show, um, you could tell a friend, and that doesn't cost you anything. Uh, just let them know, hey, I've been listening to this podcast, and there's a great story on there every week, and that would be helpful. It would just help spread the word. Um, second thing is you could leave a rating a review in, uh, Apple podcasts that is helpful all the time. Definitely helps. Uh, I always see those and it gives me, um, just a little bit of encouragement and I appreciate that, but also, you know, just would love to hear what you actually think about, about the show. And then, uh, if you really were interested, you could always join our Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash halfway there, uh, you can get a number of benefits, including an extra episode every single month. Uh, at the $25 level, you get a free t-shirt. And then um, you know go, there's some other things on up if you wanted to. Um, I know that money's tight and things like that. It's, it's Christmas season. Uh, we all have budgets, but uh, that would help us out here as well. If you enjoy the show, I'd appreciate it. Um, Okay. So our guest today is Sarah Geringer. She's a blogger, speaker, and the author of a new book called Transforming Your Thought Life, Christian Meditation and Focus. And I love that connection between Christian meditation and how you shape your thoughts. It's a really critical discipline. And uh, she has written a really, a little gem of a book. And uh, Sarah has some really uh, powerful and deep stories about Uh, how God has spoken to her and led her through her life, I think you're going to really connect with her. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Sarah Geringer. Sarah, welcome to Halfway There.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Um, We have just talked a little bit before, and I'm excited about your book and to hear your story. So uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, where God has you right now.
1: Well, uh, I am a wife, a mother of three, and uh, I am a full-time writer. I'm a graphic designer, and uh, I'm proud to say that I'm a Christian author now. I live in Southeast Missouri, and uh, when I'm not reading, I am taking prayer walks with my lab puppy and uh, puttering around in my garden. And when I have any extra time I can find, I'm painting or doing other creative activities.
0: Very good. Okay. So you're a very creative kind of person. You yeah. Know, you, like, you like to do those kinds of things. That's, that's awesome. How does that uh, how does it work out in your relationship with the Lord most of the time?
1: Oh, well, I can tell you when I was, when I was writing Transforming Your Thought Life uh, in the summer of 2018, I'm the kind of writer who needs total silence to work in. I know some writers like the quiet noises of sitting in a cafe and I, I can't concentrate. I need total silence. So I uh, sent the kids to the grandparents' house and just hunkered in and Uh, would write just one chapter at a time. And when I was writing, I entered that state that is described as flow. Yeah. And it was glorious. I felt like uh, time stopped and I was doing exactly what God had put me on this earth to do. It was such a pleasurable feeling and then also knowing that it was intended to bless other people. I think that's what every artist and every creator longs to do. They're longing to share their gifts with the world so that they can bless other people. and that's what I love to do through my through my uh, writing and as time goes on, I hope to have more time to do that through art as well.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, we'll get to that. I'm sure we'll talk all all about that as we go. Um, did you? So you said you grew up there in Southeast Missouri, right? Uh, which is mm-hmm. great. So, what was your family like? Because I, I think of that as sort of Bible Belt. You're sort of like, well, are, would you th- call it Bible Belt?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Uh, most people around uh, my area uh, would call themselves Christians. It's a highly churched area. Most people around here are attending church at least once or twice a month. It's a very, uh, special part of the United States. It's, a uh, it's a, a place where, um, families really prioritize faith. Uh, when I have traveled to other conferences and met, uh, writers from around the U S and compare notes on what kind of communities they live in, then I start realizing just how special this area is. And I feel like God has really blessed uh, this this portion of the Midwest with a lot of people who are still strong in their faith and they're seeking to grow and learn more.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so did you grow up in a Christian family or what was, what was your, uh, I guess really my question, what I want to know is, how did you come to faith in Christ? But I'd like to start with just uh, setting that table for what, what your home life was like.
1: Uh, My um, mom and dad, uh, they were together until I was four years old. um, And then they divorced. But at the time we were living in my paternal grandparents home. We were living in the finished basement. Uh, my parents had planned to build a house on the family farm. Uh, but after the divorce, my grandparents actually let my mom, who was the in-law and my sister and I stay there for about three years until she got on her feet. And my grandparents were people of strong faith. And, uh, my mom, uh, She also uh, came to a saving faith after the divorce. So she uh, had a strong impact on my faith and my grandparents. Um, Also, I was the oldest grandchild. I was the oldest great grandchild. And so I had the blessing of knowing my great grandparents who didn't pass away until I was in middle school and high school. So I have many memories of going to the family farm and seeing them live out their faith, uh, just in a quiet and unassuming way. Mm. Um, that they were just solid Christians and watching these people in my life, uh, live out their faith, despite the struggles they faced, um, really solidified my worldview. I can honestly tell you, I don't remember ever not knowing the Lord, um, and I think it's because those people modeled faith to me, and they took me to church, and uh, just made it a regular rhythm of my life to seek yeah. seek God out in prayer and uh, fellowship with other Christians.
0: Yeah, that's such a blessing to have a heritage of faith like that going back generations. That's that's pretty amazing.
1: It is, and that's that's one reason I dedicated my book to the memory of my, um, great grandparents, uh, my paternal grandpa who passed away in 2012. And then my grandma who's still living it's in her honor. Yeah. I just wanted to honor them for their contributions to, uh, my career. And, you know, they're, j- those four people, they're just, they're farmers, you know, farmers and, and, and two housewives. And they just lived out a simple faith and did it with integrity and honesty. And that can make a huge impact on someone's life. Mm-hmm. So I'm so thankful for what they did.
0: There is something to be said for the simplicity, both of Of being a farmer, but also just having a simple faith, right? A simple life. Just going, it's not really that hard, right? I know I've always aspired to a lot more. And so I but I admire people who um who could do that, you know, who who appreciate it and and
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um amazing. Okay. So you got me thinking now about some of my grandparents. I'm I'm lucky enough to still have two grandmothers alive. Yeah. uh, and then my grandfather just passed away this year in April. So it's a, uh, it is a blessing. Maybe that's a, maybe a Midwestern kind of German roots thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You grew up going to church, knowing the Lord, um, going, going to, I'm assuming youth group and all those kinds of things. What, uh, how did your faith become your own then in the, in the midst of uh, that family?
1: Um well I went to a Lutheran church and there's many Lutheran um churches yes. in Missouri. There's
0: um, different flavors of Lutheran, isn't there?
1: Correct. Yeah. But um the Missouri Synod branch of the Lutheran Church is headquartered in Missouri and uh my church was it also had a school, uh grades 1 through 8. And so the church and school, that was my life. It was my um, community. And when my parents divorced, um, my little class of 24 kids, they became like my family. And we, we just, we knew each other well, and we had to go through the good times and the bad times. My class was 19 girls and five boys, so we mostly got in trouble for talking a lot, (laughs) but it was, I really loved my, uh, I loved my classmates, and they felt like family to me. Now, at the time, uh, when eighth grade was finished, you could either go to the public high school or the Catholic high school. Those were the only Options in our area, and I wasn't Catholic, and so I went to the public high school. So I went from this little nest, a comfy nest of 24 kids, into a class of 285 public school, and that was a shock I'd never recovered from. Uh, Some kids can make that transition well, and I was one of those kids who couldn't do it. Uh, I was more i was happier in a private school environment, and also my mom uh got remarried when I turned thirteen, so this was all within about a year this big transition oh yeah and what, what, uh,
0: was, it, what was it about uh, public school it that brought was up so shocking
1: what was so shocking about it yeah, just from going from a class where I knew everybody, I knew their quirks, I knew their faults, I knew their good sides, um, kind of like brothers and sisters, really. And then going into this huge environment uh, was totally overwhelming for me as an introvert, as someone who was shy, uh, someone who was insecure. It was just socially, it was too much for me to handle. Um, I excelled academically, um, but socially it was a struggle for me all four years of high school and so um, I was trying hard to get through that transition, uh, and then I had family junk that had never really been processed. yeah, and then in right before uh, It was right before, it was the summer before my sophomore year, no, my junior year, I'm sorry. And uh, I was watching a sermon on Sunday night television. My mom wanted more depth from our faith. And so we would watch Dr. Charles Stanley, his sermons on Sunday nights. And we had done that for years And that Sunday, as every sermon, he gives an altar call at the end of it. We don't have altar calls in the Lutheran church. Yeah. And that particular Sunday in August of 1993, I felt the need to give my heart over and surrender to Jesus, even though I had known him my whole life. I knew all about him. I knew one thing that Lutheran Church does very, very well, and I'm very grateful for, is they really prioritize the Bible and learning the Bible studies and learning about Jesus' life. So I knew all about Jesus, but I really hadn't made him my personal Lord and Savior. And so that evening I went downstairs to the little bathroom that I claimed as my own every teenager needs a room of their own I think (laughs) and I just told God that I couldn't handle things anymore on my own and I wanted him to handle it for me and a warm peace came over me in that room and I knew it was the presence of the Holy Spirit and I felt close to God and I I just knew I could trust him and that was actually a perfect, a perfect timing for me, and uh, we can get into that in a little bit if you want to.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. So tell what? Why is that? Why was it a perfect time? We can just.
1: So that was uh, I was 15 years old in August of 1993, and uh, in October of that year, um, my best friend, who was also. The daughter of my pastor, uh, he got a call to a congregation in St. Louis, Uh and he had had many calls over the years, but uh, this one he decided to accept. And so my best friend, um, we had been best friends since at least third grade, she was really the only person who... I felt like I could be completely honest with. She's a very wise, um, godly woman. And she was like that as a teenage girl too. And we just had a kindred spirit friendship. And losing that, I felt like no one could possibly understand me. So I went into a very deep depression. Um, I... Basically, um didn't attend school for a whole week. I was sleeping 16 or 17 hours a day because I was just overwhelmed. Uh, my mom took me with her to work. I think she was worried I was going to hurt myself. Mm. And uh, I remember the next Monday, I guess, um, mom told me, you need to ask Jesus to... Take your hand when you're walking onto that high school campus and just picture him holding your hand, um, walking around with you all day. And I felt a little silly doing that, but I kind of tucked my hand in my pocket. (laughs) And, you know, at the time, this is the 90s, so like I was wearing my dad's extra large plaid shirts and getting (laughs) compliments on them. So I could hide it, you know, I could hide it. Nobody knew I was holding Jesus' hand. I was walking around my high school, but uh, that helped. And I think um, I still would go home in the afternoons and the afternoons were the hardest time for me. They always had been uh, because of being a latchkey kid, you're on your own at that time of day. It's the time when kids usually get in trouble. Yep. Uh, I did not do anything risky or rebellious, but I turned all my anger inward. And so afternoons were very dangerous for me because I was ruminating on all the negative thoughts in my head. And thinking no one understands me. No one really loves me for who I am. I don't really know that it matters if I'm here anymore. So I remember one afternoon that fall that I was laying in bed and I was contemplating these things and the Holy spirit just spoke to me. And he said, you don't need to think these thoughts anymore. And I knew it was him. I knew from that experience in my bathroom in August, 1993, about two months prior, I knew what his presence felt like. I knew his voice. It is, it's not an audible voice, but it's clear and it's strong when you hear it. And I knew his presence felt warm and comforting. I knew it was not a threatening or judgmental or critical uh, spirit. It was a warm and welcoming spirit that I felt on me that day. And, uh, I have not struggled with suicidal thoughts since that time. Mm. I have gone through other seasons of depression, uh, mental illness runs on both sides of my family. I think I'm lucky that all I got was depression out of it. Yeah. Um, but
0: that's a perspective, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm being serious, but you kind of have to, you have to find a way to, to be thankful. Yeah. In those I, situations. So
0: yeah. I wanted to just point something out, uh, because I really enjoyed or I just think it's significant. That you said you, you had this experience with the Holy Spirit when you first really personally gave your life to him. And then that's how you recognized him later. Right. That's how it works, right? So
2: Absolutely.
0: This this becomes um a thing. I'm, I'm wondering if you had other experiences like that, so maybe we'll, maybe we'll get to those. But um, yeah. when you know that it's the Spirit, you know, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Right? Right. They, they know me. And so um, I think having these kinds of experiences is how you know him right? Over, over time.
1: Well, and also, I don't want to diminish the importance of the fact that I had grown up knowing the Bible. I knew the triune God. I knew I had met to to go through confirmation in eighth grade. I had to memorize a hundred Bible verses, so I knew god 's word, I knew it very well, and I could recognize his voice too through that through his word. But I think once you and that 's one point that I make in my book actually, my book is all about learning to hide god 's word in your heart. Mm-hmm because if you can do that if you start with his word then you start recognizing his voice and then you can grow a very close and intimate relationship with him after that really his word is the doorway to a deeper relationship with him
0: yeah absolutely i think that's how we learn to recognize his voice learn to recognize what he what he says the hard part i have is that a lot of us uh the way we read scripture isn't with that kind voice, right? It's very right. condemning. And so it's one thing if Jesus says to Peter, why did you doubt? Right? That's a, that's a, that's a tone. Uh, but, or if he says, why did you doubt? You know, there's a, there's a yes. difference to it. And so I think scripture is one thing experience is, is another, and they both inform um, how we experience God.
1: Absolutely. Not and to I,
0: diminish scripture at all, just for the record.
1: Right. <laughs> I can tell you that I feel um, I've just been kind of exploring this this year. I feel like I started off a little bit different than most Christians. I think most Christians start off relating to Jesus because he was the son of God and the son of man. They can relate to him because he He took human form. And then they relate to God the Father based on however their relationship was with their father. And then usually most of most people I've met anyway, the Holy spirit is the fuzziest and least familiar to them. Well, for me, in my experience, God lined it up in a different uh, format. And I think it was for different purposes. Um, I really feel like I came to know God, the father, first. I think it's because I had such a huge gaping father wound that my Father God wanted to fill that for me. And he knew that I wouldn't be able to function in all these plans and purposes that I'm living out now if I if I didn't get healing for that wound first. So from the time I was a little girl, that, that was really who I thought God was. He was my father. He was my perfect heavenly father, the one I could totally trust. Cause as much as I loved my earthly daddy, I couldn't trust him. Yeah. And so, um, then as I've been explaining in high school, I started to get to know the Holy spirit. And, uh, after my, um, Conversion, conversion experience, or being saved experience, whatever you want to call it. uh, I started doing uh, some Bible studies on the Holy Spirit, so I got to know, um, I got to know Him better. I did. I worked through one of Jerry Bridges' books. um, I think it's called The Practice of Godliness. It's on the fruits of the Spirit, and then I picked up dr stanley's book on the holy spirit it's kind of a classic now Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and going through both of those studies at that time made me very familiar with the holy spirit but just this past year really 2018 into 2019 i have felt like jesus has said now it's time to develop your relationship with me even though i've known him and walked with him But just to come into a more intimate relationship with him, just with him, uh, praying directly to him, spending time just with him, has been, it's kind of brought everything full circle. And one way that I've done that is to go through a song of songs. And I know that that is... um, it's a story of Solomon and the Shulamite, but it's also a picture of Jesus and his bride, the church. But I kind of personalize that um, in terms of Jesus wanting to build an intimate relationship with me, an intimate spiritual relationship. So one thing I've been doing is meditating. One of my main meditation verses for this year has been Song of Songs 8.3. And it says, His left arm is under my head and His right arm embraces me. And I would just lay in my bed and take that as my prayer position and imagine Jesus holding me in a loving, intimate embrace. And that is, when I've taken time to do that, there is no pure peace that I feel than in those moments I'm just with him. And so it has been a really uh, exquisite journey that he has taken me on through the years. And I'm really thankful for the way that God led me through it and helped me know all three persons that he is and uh, just guided me Further and further and deeper and deeper into a faith journey.
0: Yeah, I I love that. So those are the kind of practices that I think are so valuable, and at least in my experience, under taught. You know, Uh, would would you have done that as as a kid as a as a maybe you're still Lutheran, but typically that's not the those are the kind of experience practices that are uh, shown to to people.
1: No. Absolutely not. That is not from <laughs> that. That does not come from my conservative background. Right. I feel like um, I know there's a verse. Uh, I wish I had it in front of me, but it talks about um, God shares the secrets of His covenant with with the people that seek Him out the most. And I feel like the more the more I have given myself over to Him, the more I have surrendered entire portions of my life over to him, uh, the more he's rewarded me with his presence. And that has taken years and years. I don't feel like, well, let, I'll put it differently. I feel like this is possible for everyone, but you have to want it. You have to want fellowship with God. You know, Moses wanted fellowship with God, and he said, show me your face. He he asked for it. He wanted to see God. And I, I, you know, um, there are other people, um, the Apostle John, uh, Elijah, you know, there, there are people who sought God out, and when they did, he rewarded them
2: yeah. with
1: with a special closeness. And um I think that's available to all of us, but he only He's looking for the people who actually want it.
0: Yeah. I think you see that all over scripture. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. This is why I think even we, we get on Peter a little bit for getting out of the boat, but he said, Jesus, tell if it's you, tell me to come out. Right.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: Nobody else did that. Everybody else had to stay in the boat, but Peter got to walk on the water, even though it was terrifying, probably. So uh, that's sort of the experience. I mean, God is definitely um, looking. So we don't have to get too far into the theological weeds with this, but I'm convinced that um, part of sin is the avoidance of God, right? That, that over and over God says to the Israelites, you know, okay, turn from your ways and come to me, right? He, right. he wants He wants them to come. And so what, he, what we're talking about, turning and just seeking God, and asking for him to be, you know, more, more present, more us to be more aware, whatever it is, that is what he wants. that is exactly what he wants. That's what he called the Israelites to over and over. That's why he sent you know Jonah to Nineveh, for instance to call them to do that and so when they turned, he's like yeah that's what I want that's what I'm after anyway that's um there's probably a lot more theology we could go into there, but I want to get back to you so that's uh what what an interesting story. thanks for sharing that with us some of your practice i'm i uh I really respect that i I love how Jesus tends to show up in those moments if we'll just let him. That's beautiful. Right. What happened after that?
1: I trudged through the rest of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt better once I went to college. I felt uh, less scrutinized. I felt freer.
0: Um, did you get out of Missouri or did you? No, did you-
1: not at first. No. Oh. I just stayed in my hometown and went to the um, public university because I had a full ride scholarship.
0: That'll do it. That's not, you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I I was actually getting paid to go to school because I had a full ride scholarship to the university. And then I had Missouri bright flight Um, because if you get a certain score on your ACT, they give you cash for School. So I had a really good setup. So I went in as a double major, um, art and English, and uh, I was there for two years. And uh, I, taking these liberal arts classes uh, in the liberal arts school, I was exposed to a liberal thinking. And my professors, a few of them, were openly uh, antagonistic toward the Christian faith. And I couldn't handle it. Uh, I remember one of my history classes that he would give the assignment at the beginning of class, and then he would give a lecture. And many of his lectures were lewd and um, pornographic. And I would get up and walk out because I was 17 years old. I didn't know what I was doing. I I, I had no idea. I had no idea of how to stand up to these people. I had no idea of how... I was terrified um, and not equipped to defend my faith. Um,
0: Well, the interesting thing about that is today you would call that harassment.
1: Right. And this is 1995. So this is not... That kind of language wasn't happening. I know now that I would have rights. Um, I could have gone to the dean and talked about it, but I didn't, I didn't know that then. Yeah, and I was world. afraid to talk about it. I remember in my French class, I was a French minor. And...
0: Um, so you were really planning for the future?
1: Yeah, I wanted to go to Paris and study art. Good. You know, I was, yes, I was one of those very few, like 5% of college graduates who actually, um, knew what they wanted to study and then actually made a career from the degrees that they took. So, yeah, I had a whole plan and I remember going to my French class one day and I don't, I've never written about this or talked about this publicly, but, um, he was showing a French film, and there was it was child porn. I know that now. Wow. But um, like my heart is beating fast talking about it right now because it was so disturbing. I hadn't seen anything like that at all, and I remember at the time I was so fluent in French that I protested in French to him. Oh. Um, I was the only one in the class who had uh the guts to do that and i can't believe i didn't go to the president's office and say this is wrong
2: yeah this
1: this i didn't know those things then i didn't know he could have been arrested for doing that um it sickened me but i felt helpless and i felt pressure i had this uh, i had you know a free education for five years and I couldn't stand going to school anymore. And I was talking with other people in other departments and stuff, and they didn't deal with this stuff. So I, I kind of look at it as I really think I was under spiritual attack and I didn't realize that at the time.
2: Mm.
1: And, um, at least three, three different classes I was in, there was open and egregious, um, just mistakes that shouldn't have been made in front of students or one, one other class. There was just, it was a, a hit day on Christianity. That was the topic of discussion. What, and what did it, that
0: do for your faith? Were you, were you rocked? Were you?
1: I was stunned and terrified in that one, that one class. Um, it was my general studies class class. It was like the class that everybody had to take. You had to take this class. It was like a critical thinking class, I think. And it was just one day that the, the teacher was a sociology professor, I believe. And it was just, I don't remember how he opened it, but he was like, does anybody have anything against Christianity? And I took a deep breath and I'm like, oh great, this is going to, this is going to be terrible. And it was, and people were yelling and make it, they were, there was one boy in that class who was standing up for his faith. And I was just watching in, in times of conflict, my personality, I turned into an observer. Mm. And so I was observing what was going on and feeling helpless. I didn't know. I didn't know I had any power to do anything about it, but I watched this boy and he was valiantly defending the faith and uh i sat i was in the front of the classroom my desk and so when the hour was over it was horrible it felt like a battlefield and really it was it, it was, was yeah and i remember as he walked out and i was very shy but i tapped him on the shoulder as he walked out and i took his hand just to shake his hand and i said i'm just so i'm a christian too And I'm so impressed with what you did today. And just the way he looked at me, he, he just felt he was beaten down. He he was battered and he just said, thank you. And he was shaking, you know, because he, and I just watching him, I thought, I can't do that. I can't do what he did, even though I agree with everything he said and he did it the right way. I'm not strong enough to do that. And then that um, Christmas time, I had a friend who had, um, we had gone to church together. He was older than me, and he came home for Christmas. And he was attending Covenant College uh, outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he said, you know, the Lord has been putting you on my heart. We were more like acquaintances. We weren't close friends. And he said, the Lord has just been putting you on my heart. I really think you should Come tour the school again. And so um, I think their school started a week before ours or something. So I went to preview the school. I had done it as a college senior and absolutely hated it mm. and left early. <laughs>
2: yeah. Hated
1: it because it wasn't God's timing for me. And then I went um, that January and I just knew. And then I had to come back home. And tell my parents, hey, I'm giving up my ride scholarship to go to something that pay- cost the equivalent of an Ivy League school to attend. Yeah. And getting, I got a scholarship, but it wasn't anything like, it wasn't anything like what I had back home. Right. And my dad was beside himself. And now that I'm a parent of three, I can... I can understand where he was coming from. And he was just like, why don't you just get more involved with church? Why don't you just get more involved with the youth group or whatever? And I said, and he, he at best was a nominal Christian at the time at best. So I knew he didn't understand. And he had a flight that he had to take to St. I'm sorry. He had to go to Dallas And we had to drive to St. Louis and he made me drive him up there. And the whole two hours, he's trying to talk me out of this. And I pull up to Lambert airport to drop him off. And I said, dad, I love you and I respect you, but I've got to do what I've got to do. And I was 19 years old. Wow. And he was not happy with me, but, um, that was God leading me. And again, I knew his voice. I knew I knew what it felt like to follow God's will. I knew what it felt like um, to obey God when he's calling you to do something. And so when I went to covenant as a junior, I transferred in. I knew it was where I needed to be. Um, And God used those two years that I was at covenant to really, um, give me a bedrock foundation of um, Christian worldview. They talked a lot about uh, your worldview and how it affects you. Um, Covenant is a reformed Presbyterian school. And so they talked about reforming whatever sphere that you're in and um, making an impact in wherever God calls you and whatever God calls you to do. And that really shaped my, um, that really shaped my opinion mm. of, of what to do with my faith. Um, however, when I graduated with an undergrad in English, there's not a lot you can do with that degree. <laughs> right. And I knew I did not want to teach, um, even though I had heard for years and years, you should teach, you should <laughs> teach, you should. I didn't yeah. want to do that.
0: And that's the fallback for an English major, right? It so is. You can always and, teach.
1: Yeah. Or they said you could be a lawyer. And I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Even though, ironically, the last two years currently, I've written, I've been a ghostwriter for lawyers. Um, oh, wow. And doing that, has convinced me even more that I would not want to be a lawyer.
0: (laughs) No, thank you. Okay.
1: So um, I admire what they do, but that's not for me. Like I said, I'm, I'm right brained. And so I need creative creative tasks. But anyway, um, when I came back from covenant, um, then I had all these student loans. And at the time covenant didn't have an art major. They had an art minor. So I was an English major with an art minor, but I felt like I still wanted to study art. So I came back to the same university here in in town to study art and um, specifically graphic design, because I knew you could get a job with a graphic design degree.
2: Yeah.
1: And, but when I came back home, it was kind of similar to leaving my, um, eighth grade class and going to the public school. Um, I had been kind of on this, you know, surrounded on this campus of 800 Christians and uh, students and faculty. And then going back onto a public university campus was a shock again, even though I had already been there, but as I've described, that was a, that was a difficult experience for me. Um, And you might've heard of the acronym HALT. Uh, Don't get yourself too hungry. Don't get too angry. Don't get too lonely. Don't get too tired because that's when Satan can attack you. And that's everything I was in the fall of 99 when I came home from covenant. So um, I wanted to get through uh, school as fast as I could so I had my advisor override the system and approve me for 19 credit hours in one semester, which was stupid.
0: Wow. So <laughs> It's ambitious it, at best.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, I was setting myself up for a breakdown of some sort. Yeah. Um, and art classes are three hours long a piece. So literally all I was doing was going to class going to work, coming home, doing my homework, and crashing. So the only time I had off was Sundays to go to church. So in 2000, um, I met my husband-to-be in uh, February, and we had a whirlwind romance, and... We were married by November of 2000. Wow. I, I hadn't even dated anybody since high school. So uh, it was, it was um, a shock for everyone uh, in my family. And um, it was difficult. And I felt like what was happening is my mom was moving and she didn't have a place for me to stay. And my dad was getting divorced again. And so my family life was in chaos. Uh, I was still looking to my family to fill up voids in my heart at that time. And so when someone came into my life that was willing to show me love and offer me happiness, um, temporary happiness, then I was desperate for it. And that's not a good place to be in. Um, so as soon, right after we, um, within two weeks of being married, um, loneliness and depression came back into the picture for me. And I realized that marriage was not the solution for loneliness And that was a crushing disappointment for me. Loneliness had been my companion ever since I was four years old as a child of divorce. And I guess I thought very wrongly, very romantically, um, naively that marriage was going to cure that problem. And it did not. Um, I got married to a fellow child of divorce because I thought he would understand me. And we did in some important ways, but also we were both coming in as very broken individuals who weren't healed when we got married. And so that just set up a lot of problems that we were going to have to work through.
0: Yeah. So that is, uh, we we talked about that a little bit before, the whole thing, and we didn't go into it much here, but that's okay. But the whole thing with uh, being a child of divorce is there's, there's a lot more to it, right? And it's, it does uh, open up some wounds, maybe I guess is the best way to put it, uh, that really are hard to fill, right? They're hard to, they're hard to fix and they take a lot of work to, to heal up. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Interesting way to put that.
1: Yeah, the the divorce. Um, the best metaphor I've heard for it is a living death. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like a corpse that is always sitting in your front room that never got buried, and you've got to walk around it and put up your decorations for Christmas around it. It's wrong. It's it feels unnatural and unhealthy, and yet it's there and you can't ever get it out of your life. And, you know, our God is the God of redemption and hope, but he's also a God who hates divorce. And it's for very good reason, because he knows that it just creates curses over families that are just very hard to break. And the, the people who pay for it are the children, generally speaking. Um, I know it's I know it's hard on the adults too, but the children are the one who bear the wounds forever and ever. And um, it's just been something I wish. um, It didn't still have a hold on me, but it does. And every family get together reminds me of it. Every birthday, every holiday. um, It's just... You know, it's it's something that is part of my life, part of my worldview, um, that I can't get past. But God is showing me that the only way to heal from it is to draw into Him and draw into the strength of the Church with a capital C. Yeah to get your to get your needs met among the Christian community. So that's really the only way that you can heal from it um, and I hope to write an entire book on that someday
0: um, i hope I hope that you do and i'll t- for this reason because until you and I had our first conversation, um, no one had ever acknowledged uh the pain or put it as well uh that I personally feel from my parents. my parents didn 't get divorced till I was like twenty five had my first baby um and i'd never heard anybody acknowledge that or or uh express it as well as you just did um thank you you did in that conversation and uh i was not, i mean i knew it was there you, you you have to right you know that it's always this kind of painful thing but i didn't realize its extent until then right and i i know that particularly in our generation but I'm not the only one right there's so many millions and millions of us so that uh that's a book that needs to happen and um uh, which you know take my opinion for whatever it's worth but, <laughs> but that uh, it resonated with me deeply so thank you for that yeah. um all right but I so I want to I, I don't really want to gloss over that so I hope you don't feel like I'm doing that but
2: no. um
0: I do want I do want to kind of bring us up to the present present day so um, I mean, you've been through a, a lot and you've learned to kind of follow the Lord. Um and then you started, did you start writing right away or like what like how kind of fill in some of those gaps maybe briefly and then bring us up? Because so I want to talk about your book.
1: Absolutely. Um, I always wrote in journals. I got a journal for Christmas when I was 10. And so I have an entire bookshelf, totally full of journals now. Um, And when I, I remember a conversation with one of my English professors and he just said, well, if you don't want to teach, you need to start writing. And I thought, I don't even know how to do that. Um, So that was, completely overwhelming and foreign to me. So I just kept writing essays and journals for personal pleasure. Um, And then in 2010, uh, the Lord brought some, someone to mind from my past. I actually write about it in my chapter on regretful thoughts. Mm. And I was like, Lord, why are you having me remember? Remember this person. I haven't seen this person in, I guess, at the time, like 15 years. I don't understand. And he just kept saying, write, 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 write. And so I started writing out every memory that I could think about this person. And I have a photographic memory. So I had a lot. I had a lot of memories that I just wrote out in as much detail as I could. And as I'm doing this, I'm grieving. I'm grieving. And I realized this was a relationship that could have materialized and never did. And it was because of all the hurts and hangups I had in my family life that were unprocessed. So God used that experience to land me in the counselor's office. And I spent five years, um, every other week going to a Christian counselor and sorting out all those issues. And around that time, I also started blogging. So I um, stopped and started. And now I really wish I had uh, continued on because yeah. those were the glory days of blogging. Now we're in the glory days of podcasting.
2: And That's, why here.
1: that's right. That's right. <laughs> but uh, you know, I stopped and started and, Partially because when I was grieving and working through some problems, I just couldn't write. Um, Yeah. I just couldn't. I could write in my own journals, but I couldn't write for public consumption. So um, in 2015, I had healed from much of that stuff, having gone to therapy. And I saw a Facebook ad I know I have a lot of mixed feelings about Facebook, but (laughs) Facebook did did something good for me. And it was an ad for Michael Hyatt's Get Published course. Yeah. And so I clicked on it and looked into it. And I think it was around $300, which, you know, was an investment for me as a high school secretary making a little more than minimum wage, you know? Wow, yeah. I thought, you know, if I am going to... Pursue this dream that I've put on the back burner, basically to raise my children. Um, Now's the time. I'm not going to wait anymore. This is silly. I remember getting awards when I was in college. I remember, you know, my professors being impressed with what I did. So I thought I should really try this. So I went through his course and one of the things he said was, um, he had so many good things to say. A lot of it is in his book um, Platform, which I highly recommend.
0: Great book. I great book.
1: To
0: that was um, one of the books that inspired me to start, uh, particularly social media. But because he has a great chapter on Twitter, but also um, just to like dig into podcasting to get to get. Yeah, more. I can't. I'm, I just want to echo that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Definitely. So he said, you know, you can do whatever you want. He has a chapter on self-publishing versus traditional publishing. But he came out of the um, traditional publishing background. And so he had all these reasons for why you should at least consider doing it. And so reading his recommendations, I thought, yeah, this really sounds like what I want to do. I know that there's pros and cons of both, but I really want to go the traditional route. And it's mainly because I want to have the widest audience possible for these things that I know God has put on my heart to to build a writing ministry from. So I knew I couldn't really reach that many people through self-publishing. But anyway, I did go ahead and self-publish because I thought it would be a good Stepping stone to get to traditional publishing. So, my first yeah. um, my first traditionally published book came out in October of 2016, and it was called "Christmas Peace for Busy Moms." And it, I just made these um, self published books really short, about twenty thousand words, because that's really all I could produce working full time, um, and also just to accommodate busy busy people yeah. who still want to read, but don't have a ton of time. And then my next book, um, newness of life, uh, trusting God in times of transition that came out in January of 2017. And that's a study on Ecclesiastes three, one through eight. And then my third one, uh, came out in March of 2018. So I was really, really pursuing the stream hard, getting up at 4 a.m., and writing and taking the weekends to write, write, write. And uh, I was also in um, Chandler Bolt's self-publishing school, which is a very, very good resource. They have a very good free blog, but I was in the paid group. Um, that really helped me um, self-publish in a, in a professional way. And then um, that was March of 2017 when I did The Fruitful Life. And then I um, signed up to attend She Speaks 2017. That is a large conference for Christian women writers and speakers, and it's put on by Proverbs 31 Ministries, and it's held every year in North Carolina. And I was a member of Compel Training, which is their training module. And um, I had watched videos of other bloggers I had followed who had gotten book contracts and And they had gone to She Speaks to do this. So, this is something I had dreamed about since at least 2013. Yeah. So, I went to um, She Speaks in 2017 and it was amazing. And I had one session with a, um, a fellow writer... We had been in a Facebook group together and had never met. And she was there to pitch her book. And I was there to pitch my book, which is actually the one on being a child of divorce has not been published yet, but, and we just connected. And then um, in January of 2018, uh, in the Facebook group for She Speaks, somebody posted, has anybody heard back from their publisher appointments? So I had, one of the agents had accepted my manuscript, but still hadn't gotten back with me. And so I just posted that as a comment in that group. And then Michelle, the one who I had chatted with, um, the fellow, uh, writer, she had become an agent in the span of that time. And she private messaged me and said, Hey, uh, do you want me to take a look at your manuscript? What is it about? And I said, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Right, you're not going to turn that down.
1: No, no, I didn't. And so I sent it to her and she said, what I had put in one of the sections was upcoming, I think in the section where I listed my self-published books, I said, um, and this was in January of 2018. So I said, "I'm, I'm planning to put out, another self-published book on transforming your thought life probably in March of 2018, because I think it's time it's been a year since I did one for my tribe. I think it's time. And, and Michelle said, wait a second, I want to see a proposal on that book. And I said, well, right now it's just um, three sheets of scribbles on notebook paper. And she's like, yeah, you need to send me a proposal on it as soon as you can. So I took a whole week off of work Um, as a freelance writer to write this 64 page document on, on this other book. And as soon as she received it, she said, yes, this is the one we need to pitch. And she said, would you be interested in signing with me? And I said, absolutely I am. And so that was very exciting. I signed with her in March of 2018. And as soon as I signed with her, she sent it out to uh, 19 different publishing houses and within two weeks, we had two that were interested in it at nice. the same time. And she said, this is not normal. <laughs> and she yeah, said, that,
0: that's the place, um, place you want to be, right?
1: Yes. It was amazing. And I'm a newbie. I know nothing about this, you know, and right. just like, Oh yeah, whatever. Sounds great. <laughs> and she said, uh, she called me most of the time we emailed, but she called and she said, Sarah, She said, the um, acquisitions editor at Leafwood wants to have a phone call with you. Are you available? And I'm like, yes, right now, you know? So we get on the phone and I talk with Jason and he said, I love your book, but I want, I want to see if you're willing to put it through this framework. And he said, you know, about half of Christians are going to say, ooh, Christian meditation, transforming your thought life. That sounds amazing. I want to buy it. And the other half, our conservative uh, friends right. are going to say, no way. New, new agey, ooey gooey, no thank you. And he said, so to make this book appeal to both groups, are you willing to um, put a virtue in each chapter? Because if we can, if we can show that, uh these negative these negative thought patterns that you mention can be reformed by pursuing a virtue then i think it will be appeasing to both sides
2: yeah it'll be interesting and
1: I, yeah and i i was really uh i really appreciated that perspective i really respected it i thought it was a very good it would make the book even better and i was not just willing to do it to get a book contract i thought this will be a better book for a bigger market yeah with, with this type of guidance and so i signed my contract with leafwood in may of 2018 and the book was due in august so i wrote and wrote and wrote all summer and it um
0: is that a normal timeline
1: i think about 3 months is normal Uh, I believe that's right. I know that's a little long. I think by the time we signed it, it was right at three months. Okay. So it might've been, might've been the end of May or early June. But um, yeah, that's, that's about, that's what I've heard anyway. For a nonfiction book, um, that's about right. So I've also heard, and this, this proved to be true in my case that um, when you go to a conference or you um, submit a query for a nonfiction book, they really typically only want you to have three chapters done because a lot of times the editor is going to shape this book in a direction, mm-hmm. just like Jason did for my book. Yeah. Um, that if if you had the whole manuscript done, that's okay. But you can understand as a writer, that helped me. I only had to rewrite three chapters instead of 18. Right. You know, so, um, yeah, that that was very valuable uh, for me. And working with, I I just have appreciated the traditionally publishing experience in terms of the editing. uh, Because each round of edits, I could tell they were making it better for a wider audience. I didn't have that perspective producing my own self-published books. Now I did everything myself and I know that's a little unusual for a self-published author. Um, I think the best self-published books you're going to, you're going to hire an editor. You're going to hire a cover designer and uh, a designer. So, Mm -hmm. so I didn't necessarily need those. But I can say having gone through the this other process, um, a traditional publisher's goal is quite frankly to sell as many books as possible to as many people. And so they're going to shape that book so that it appeals to as many consumers as possible within the target market. Right. So I really, really valued the layers of editing um, Cause I could see each time they were improving it for the reader.
0: Yeah, great. So tell us about the book and, and what you're hoping people get out of it.
1: So the book, uh, the first chapter talks about what Christian meditation is and the benefits that it provides to you. And really I can just give it away right now because it's so, so simple Um, It's simply meditating on scripture. That's all it is. It is thinking about scripture, how it applies to you, what it tells you about God, what it tells you about the um, plans and purposes he has for you. It is just that simple. Um, So I explain um, different tactics that you can use. And I also, in each chapter, I tell a story of how I did this. Uh, to improve my thought life and reform my thought life. And then the other 17 chapters that remain, each one deals with a common thought life struggle and then the virtue that we can pursue to overcome that struggle. So for example, um, angry thoughts, uh, we can meditate on scriptures about Anger, So we know how to handle it, but then we can also meditate on scriptures about self-control to learn how to process our anger and manage it. So each chapter is set up in that fashion um, to to equip the reader with the key scriptures to fight back in whichever uh, thought life area is your primary area of um, temptation. And then the secondary thread uh, that runs throughout the book is spiritual warfare. And I want this book to help people understand that their thought life struggles are all attached to an area that Satan wants to defeat them in. And he may have set up a stronghold or a power uh, power source um, in that particular one. So as I've been working with my launch team for this book, uh, each woman on that team has said, this chapter spoke to me, you know, this chapter, and it's different for everyone. I think all of us deal with all of those problems because I pulled my tribe on what are your most common thought life area struggles. And so I use their information to build these chapters. But all of us have kind of characteristic sins that are different. Um, mine is um, critical thoughts. That's that's my problem area. I think it's always going to be my number one problem area, just how I'm wired and I talk about it in that chapter. Um, but for other people, it's going to be defeated thoughts or untrue thoughts or idolatry. I, idolatrous thoughts. So yeah. whichever one applies to you, but I think there's a lesson in each chapter.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think it's great. I was just looking it over. I, uh, I love this idea. Um, you know, I think everybody has, uh, a thought life and here's the thing we don't ever talk about it, right? There's not usually, uh, how, how often do you think about your thoughts? Just that they just are your thoughts, right? So, the opportunity to just think about your thoughts, uh, to consider how, um, how am I intentionally forming and shaping them? What can I do is a real invitation from the Lord, I think, to just, um, you know, embrace Him in those moments instead of, uh, whatever it is that you're struggling with.
1: Absolutely. And I talk about how. When Jesus was tempted, he fought back with Scripture. Yeah. Um, that's, that's our model to follow. If, if Jesus was doing that, that's exactly what we should be doing. We should be countering negative and um, alluring and tempting thoughts directly with Scripture. And as we learn to replace those thoughts with Scripture, then God can bring newness of life into our thoughts.
0: Yeah, I love that. Okay, so the book is called uh, Transforming Your Thought Life, and people can get it. uh, I know that right at this moment it's not out yet, but it will be by the time we get this, so they can get it wherever they get books. It
1: will be on Amazon as a paperback and Kindle. It'll be on Barnes & Noble, uh, Books a Million, uh, ChristianBook.com. Um, mm-hmm. on Google books too. Uh, and of course my publisher is selling it.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And uh, I have links at com. People can find you at your website. Give us your website and, uh, everything where, where people can find you.
1: Okay. Uh, my website is com and i have uh active accounts that i update every day on facebook and twitter uh instagram and pinterest i'm also on linkedin and another place that i'm at is goodreads goodreads is where of i course. keep track of my books
0: yeah that's fantastic all right sarah thank you so much for sharing your story i appreciate it i appreciate your vulnerability and uh definitely your your pursuit of your dream Uh, Is there anything you want to leave us with?
1: You know, I just want to encourage your readers that every single problem they have can be addressed through the power of God's word. There's a scripture that's going to help every single thought life struggle that you're having. And there is hope and joy in applying God's word to your problems.
0: Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much.